It takes more than nested subslike skills in SQL to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 151. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show for software developers about non-technical topics and occasionally SQL. Soft query language. <laughs> soft, <laughs> soft and fluffy query language. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank our wonderful patrons. Thank you so much to the folks who are supporting us at the level where they get shouted out in every episode. Thank you to Matthew Vojtovich. The Agile Ventures Charity, Zach Grannon, Luis Santos, Nick Cantar, Sean Clayton, Sonic the Hedgehog, Marie Rousseau, and Chris Hogan. And thank you so much to everyone else who has contributed or who will contribute in the future. Ooh, future contributions. Yeah. If you want to help us out, you can go to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. And the money you contribute goes towards editing the show, design, hosting, all those things. All right. Shall I read our first question? Please do. This comes from Blonde Viking 87 which is a great, just a great name. Okay, BlondeViking87 says, I have a lot of software developer colleagues who are 20 to 35 years old, but none that are 50 plus. At what age does a software engineer's career end? I have some bad news for you. What it, is it? It's 36. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Isn't there some book about, no, it's, have you heard of Fallout 3, the video game? No. There's a town in it called, I think it's Lamplight, All where right. it's run by kids. And as soon as you turn 15, I think you get exiled or killed or something like that. So All software right. is basically like that. <laughs> uh, just a bunch of zero to 15 year olds. Yep. What could possibly go wrong? I'm trying to think if I've worked, if I've worked with a software developer who is still kind of writing code, who's 50 plus. I don't think I have. I've worked with folks in their 40s. Mm -hmm. I'm 32, so I've got three good years left in me. <laughs> Before you're voted out. Yeah. <laughs> or killed. <laughs> and I've begun to vote myself out because I'm an engineering manager. So oh. I, I do some coding, but I do lots of like spreadsheeting too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So if it's a little competition, what did you say was the oldest developer you've worked with? I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think. Oldest developer. It's hard to know how old they are because they don't want to tell you. So you have to actually cut them in half and count the rings. <laughs> <laughs> I I have heard people saying that they try to look younger because they're afraid of age discrimination. Yeah. Probably 40s, probably mid, mid late 40s. How old are you? I'm 32. Yeah. Oh, you're you're prime developer. You're a spring chicken. I, I am. Yep. <laughs> so the oldest you think is mid 40s. I actually worked with an engineer who was 65. He was great, a fantastic engineer. He actually just retired last year. Hmm. He actually worked with Alan Kay back wow. in the day. Yeah, and I got to work with him a little bit in my current job, which is great. And I know a few in their 50s as well. I feel like most of the time, most of the people I work with have been roughly my same age, and. There's just a cohort that have all moved through jobs with mm -hmm. me where everyone is basically the same age. Yeah, I was going to say that's probably not a coincidence. That's probably yeah. selection, like an, uh, an actual active selection on your part and their part of, you know, people you know happen to be your age and happen to be the people you get employed with. Yeah. I work at a very large company right now, Walmart, and there are certainly engineers who are 50 plus here. I don't work with them directly though i guess i'm thinking of folks that i collaborate with actively mm -hmm. yeah i know they exist i was you know when i was younger so i'm i'm 40 as of recently happy birthday to me yeah we just so. found out we almost have the same birthday yeah we <laughs> we both had birthdays <laughs> in the last couple of weeks yep. apparently we're not that close <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, happy birthday to you <laughs> you too thanks and for the first i don't know five years of my career i worried about this a lot 
because I'm like, where are all the 50-somethings, you know? And after about 10 years, I stopped worrying about it completely because I realized what was happening was we have an industry that is exploding and people aren't joining the industry who are already experienced in other fields. Instead, they're coming in it at it at a young age, you know, 20s is most typical. And so it's growing at the bottom of the age curve a lot more, probably a hundred times more than it's growing at the top end of the age curve. Hmm. The result is we're surrounded by a bunch of 20 and 30 somethings, you know, like 99%. Yeah. And everybody hates 30 something. (laughs) (laughs) My my parents used to watch a TV show in the, uh, in the eighties or nineties called 30 something. Did you ever hear that? Never, never in my life. Well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> That's all I know about it. <laughs> the end. <laughs> so I, I wonder if part of this could be dependent on the industry as well. Like I've, I've spent lots of my career at startups and there the average age was certainly much younger. For the developers, it was, it was much younger than here where I would say the average age of the folks I work with is probably mid to late 30s. Mm-hmm. It definitely skews older. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that it's at a larger company. Some of that might be maybe different appetites for risk. Where if if you're in your 50s, you you have like a life to pay for, you know, like you might have family, you might have a a mortgage. And so there might be different trade-offs around stability that you're looking to make. I don't know if Blonde Viking 87 told us where they work. (laughs) But they Uh, did accidentally reveal their age. (laughs) Yeah, 32. Yeah. Wait, 30 or 31, I guess. Yeah. I was born in 87. That's the only reason I know. (laughs) I'm not I'm not some savant. Wait. What do you think I am, yeah, I a genius? Some... You think I can look at years and calculate <laughs> ages? <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if you actually wrote this question, blonde Viking 87. <laughs> well, I'm five foot eight and I have black hair, so nope. You're like, I'll conceal my identity by changing my hair color and my screen name. I forgot to change my age. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, no. I might be five foot nine. I don't know how tall I am. I wish I had some hard numbers on this to like be able to say exactly what is the breakdown by age. But anecdotally, and I've been at a lot of companies now for about 15 years, anecdotally, I can say it's like 99% are less than 50. You know, we should have done this real quick, but I'm going to take a second to do it now and look up the Stack Overflow oh, yeah. survey. Give me some credentials here. How, what's our sample size that we're talking about? 65,000 okay. responses. And this is this is people who responded to the Stack right, Overflow survey. So they survey. opted in. So it's, it, it's basically a bell curve. Uh, 25% are between 0 and 24 mm-hmm. years old. 50% 25 to 34 years old. There's 18% 35 to 44, mm-hmm. 5% 45 to 54, and then it trails off. So yeah, there's there's a big a big uh, spike kind of in the 20s and 30s, 20 yeah. to 35. I do not think that is a reflection of what happens to engineers as they age. I think it is a symptom of a middle-aged industry. The the industry itself mm. is about that age in terms of mainstream job opportunities. You know, I mean, obviously computers have been around since the 60s, and people were writing weird Lisp code on PDP 11 devices with Richard Stallman. You know, in the 60s to to uh, protest that the printer had closed source firmware but <laughs> but uh, but you know they were very very rare as an act of bravery <laughs> i'm not making that up actually <laughs> that is a true story anyway but now you know here we go fast forward i'd say like the dot com boom in the late 90s early 2000s was really when the industry kind of had its big opening to a lot of people getting getting their eyes open to the fact that this industry is a reasonable place to go and make a career for yourself and i think it's just been a steady climb since then but industries only grow from the bottom when they require expertise like that 
because the opportunity cost for leaving an already trained up skill set uh, at an, you know if you're 20 years experienced with it is high. It's very high. Yeah, to to start over as a junior developer once you're a senior exactly. accountant or whatever. It does happen though. We yeah. hear about it all the time. But for every one of those we hear about, there's probably a hundred people coming in fresh. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. I think there's also an escape valve at the top where some percentage of folks move into different careers that are technical, but not necessarily programming every day. So more engineering management or technical leadership. It's not everyone that does it, but that that's that's a common path as you get more experience in your career, you move a little bit away from the day-to-day -day yeah. coding. And some people really want to do it, some people don't, but it is a exactly. thing that happens. I think what's going to happen is in 10 years, so mark my words, the year 2029, someone's going to write into our podcast, and yes, we will still be going. <laughs> Some, <laughs> someone's going to write in and say, where are all the 45 to 55-year-old developers? Everyone I know is 35 to 45. <laughs> You think there's a there's like a baby boom for no, programmers? I Actually, I don't think that's true. I don't think there's like a swell and it's going to die off on the back end. But I just think that you know we're riding a wave here. It's not that people stop programming when they turn 35 or 40 or 45. Yeah, it will be very interesting well, to watch though. Are Are you going to be a 50 year old programmer, Dave? You know that's a that's a great question. I think uh, I think probably not. You know, my long term career goals are more aligned with people management and leadership, I think, than they are with writing code every day. But if I am still writing code every day at age 50, I think I would be just fine with that. I have this idea in my head of just just the wise elder nerd <laughs> where they're, they're 50, right? So they're not, they know how to work with people. They've seen a lot of stuff. They're just, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I haven't worked with someone who's, who's uh, 50 or older who still programs, but I just imagine they would be so chill and easy to get along with and great mm -hmm. to work with where they've seen so much, they know so much, they're not rattled, they just get stuff done, low maintenance, great to have or, on the team. <laughs> the op I've, I have seen the opposite of that where they've experienced... Where they're the crusty yeah, well, they've, old person. They've experienced so many problems caused by short-sighted, by their own, either their own short-sightedness or the, that of others, that when you say an idea, they're just like, stop, stop, I already know it's at the end of that trail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and my scars are still tingling yeah. from that one. Yeah. But I, I will say oh. this, as I have aged, because, you know, I'm I am outside of the band of this question. This question says everyone I know is 20 to 35. I'm I'm five years outside of that. And, and I will say that I am way more chill about a lot of technology choices, which 15 years ago, I would have been like, well, this is very important that we carefully discuss brace placement, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like I'm getting more strongly opinionated about culture and process things and less strongly opinionated oh, about technical interests too. So maybe I'm equally curmudgeonly yeah, just you know, in it's different interesting. areas. Like, I used to have very strong opinions about programming language choice based on the language aesthetics itself. And now my opinions mm -hmm. about programming language choice are much more informed by the community that surrounds that language and the types of people I can hire to work in that language than it is about the language's aesthetics itself. Hmm. Weird. Well, you heard it first. Getting old <laughs> is weird. So at what age does a software engineer's career end? At the death, death. age. <laughs> yeah, I think there's no there's no set age. I, I've heard enough reports of age discrimination though to know that it's a thing. Yeah. So there are, there are probably places that you could not mm -hmm. get hired if you were 50 or older. And it turns out you probably don't want to work yeah. for those places because yeah. they might suck. Yeah. So yeah. I, like I said, I'm 32, so I have no actionable advice for what to do if you're a 50-year-old <laughs> or older software developer looking for work. But I'm pretty sure Blonde Viking 87 is not 50. <laughs> yeah, otherwise he would be Blonde Viking 67. <laughs> <laughs> I bet the job market is different, though, and it does take a little bit. You're, you're looking 
for different kinds of opportunities. You are. And the fit is more careful. Like you're a more complicated puzzle piece at at my age than you were when you were 20. You know, you're at age 25, you're a puzzle piece that can fit into any puzzle. But now it's like you have to have a very specific set of requirements to hire me into your team. Such as the ball pit. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. Have we answered the question? Oh, no. Yeah, almost. There's one more thing. Okay. As a signal that the industry is aging, what I think we should observe in order to track this is not asking people what their age is. That would be way too easy. Instead, we should monitor Twitter for accounts by software developers of hand injuries and back pain and other, other <laughs> things that come from like two decades of sitting in, yeah, sitting in front of a computer. <laughs> <laughs> eye strain you know yeah like as when we see the twitterverse start to like describe these things then we know the industry is aging and they're still here <laughs> i thought you were gonna say monitor for usernames that have years in them <laughs> and try and calculate age based on that <laughs> that's probably predictive <laughs> all right good luck good luck blonde May you program another 20 years yes all right. Okay. Will you read our next one? I will. Yeah. Hi, Dave and Jameson. Thanks for the great podcast. You're welcome. I recently started a new... Oh, this is from an anonymous listener. That that was not their name that their parents gave them. <laughs> <laughs> I W. Hi, Dave and Jameson. Thanks for the great podcast. <laughs> I thought uh, I thought it was. I, recently, I thought the name was anonymous listener eighty seven. <laughs> oh yeah. I recently started a new position on a small remote team. The co-founders are increasingly dismayed by my lack of Slack question asking, although I've reassured them that I'm not too shy and will ask when I'm stuck. I have daily one-on-one -on -one meetings with one co-founder where I do ask questions about the code base, story requirements, potential side effects of my solution, etc. It's an open source project with comprehensive and Googleable developer docs. So between those and my debugger, I can figure everything else out with a bit of research. A co-founder told me that he expects to see me asking one or two questions per hour and strongly implied that I need to do this if I want to survive my probation period. I actually got let go from my last job at the end of my probation period due to brisk communication style and not asking enough questions, so I'm freaking out now. I don't want to annoy my colleagues with a constant stream of inane RTFM, which stands for read the friendly manual style questions. Uh, but I'm stumped on how else to hit my question target. Can you help me come up with ideas? Is there some big picture reason for this obsession with question asking that I'm missing? Oh, whoa. this is so weird. Yeah, this is really weird. First of all, there's a lot of weird things. Question, question. asking target. Yeah. Like, what? I, I don't have any questions. <laughs> <laughs> but you must. <laughs> how can you hit your target if you don't have questions? <laughs> question target. Just, yeah, that I have a lot of speculation here, but all we can go on is what's in the question. It sounds like, so the team is all remote. Okay. Maybe the question asking is a proxy for kind of prove that you're getting work done since everyone is remote, you know, show some activity in chat, oh. show something because the manager co-founder can't walk around and, and look at all the minions typing. So maybe that's a signal that you are progressing somehow or mm. getting stuff done. Um, hmm. It also, I mean, attention from bosses is is nice, but it does seem a little weird that you have daily one-on-ones with the co-founder. Yeah. Maybe they just have a really intense hands-on probation program or something. Yeah, maybe. That that sounds, yeah, I don't know. That's weird. I'm, you know, I mean, if, if daily one-on-ones are good, maybe we should- Yeah, if they're helpful. Maybe we should step it up and do like hourly one-on-ones. <laughs> I mean, if a little is good, a lot is better, right? I heard someone talk about daily sprints Whoa. the other day. Okay. A sprint planning meeting at the beginning and then a sprint review at the end. With, that, with like a demo and a shipping ceremony? Yeah, I, I think so, <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
All right. Well, I mean, to do that, you would need also like daily retrospectives. <laughs> you would. And then you do hourly standards, hourly. I guess. <laughs> every, every hour. <laughs> Gather round, team. What did you accomplish in the our... last hour? What are you going to do in the next hour? Is anyone blocked? <laughs> Time for our weekly quarterly planning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this seems weird and bad. And so I can only speculate that something funky is going on. Yeah, I agree. Not asking enough questions. There, there is a pretty um, simple solution to this problem, though. It says here you're having daily one-on-ones with the co-founder where you're asking questions about the code base and requirements and, and et cetera, why not just post those questions in Slack and you can walk away from this mess and let the co-founder answer in Slack? Mm. So when they when when you do your daily one-on-one, you just say, see the one to two questions an hour I've posted <laughs> in Slack. Yeah, actually, that's not a bad idea. You could say, hey, can you just check out the questions I asked? Yeah. You could also do like a cron job. Where you just just crank out a bunch of questions. Maybe your Monday morning is like, all right, I'm going to write 4,000 questions. How many hours? 40, 40 questions. So 80, 40 to 80 questions for my week. <laughs> and you just write them all down and then have, have a bot slowly trickle them into the channel. I love it. And maybe, I, maybe there's some subtle philosophical deep questions in there occasionally. Yeah. So I, I want to speculate even more. In the past, I was managing a remote team. And there was a developer on the team who I had some concerns about their productivity and output. And one of the ways that manifested is they were very quiet in chat. They didn't really say anything ever. And there were other concerns too, but I approached it by asking them to communicate a little bit more what they were doing. So it's, uh, but really what, what, what a smarter, wiser, more mature current Jameson would do is say, hey, I have concerns about your productivity and I'm not seeing the output and then talk about that. But I was a wuss so i just talked about being more communicative in chat Hmm. it's possible that this request to ask more questions is a concern about productivity because Hmm. and if it's not then you should be able to push back and say look i'm getting all my stuff done why does it matter that i'm not asking questions if if you have concerns about my productivity let's talk about that but yeah that's really that's a good insight yeah, I mean, it's it'd be hard to do, especially if you're in a probation and you're feeling like the, the pressure is on. But I mean, the probation should not be about how many questions you ask in chat. It should be about, can you do a good job? Right. So if you can reframe it as like, look at my productivity, if that's not good, tell me and I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to fix it. But if it is, this focus on questions is making it harder for me to do my job. Um, not asking enough questions. Yeah, it, it could be. I would see that as a problem if it's leading to you getting stuck for a long time. But if you're not getting stuck and you're able to demonstrate that through getting stuff done, then that's bizarre that that it would be such a yeah, it'd be such a point of contention. Yeah. Maybe the issue here is these people that hired you, you're actually much more skilled than they are. <laughs> and and things that would stump them and cause them to ask questions don't stump you. Yeah. Yeah. That's very possible, too. I Is there anything about here? Do I annoy my colleagues with a constant stream of inane questions? How else to hit my target? Yeah, that's just, I I don't understand how. I would really try and reframe it to be about your performance, not about asking questions. Because the the second you say, how do I hit my question target? That's, questions should be to serve a purpose. And the purpose shouldn't be, how do I get my co-founder to get off my back and like, (laughs) let me do my job. And plus, one, one or two questions an hour I don't know. I, I feel like I need hours of concentrated programming time. And so if I have to interrupt myself every half an hour to dump a question in Slack so I don't get in trouble, I'm, I'm not going to get anything done. Mm, interesting. I, that, that's just enough time to browse Twitter in between questions. <laughs> All right. So we've, we've come down pretty hard on the side of the question asker and kind of poo-pooed on the, 
culture or management style here, but let me flip it around just and play the other side here just for a moment. What if okay. What if there are questions that you feel like an engineer should be asking that can't be found on Google, that can't be found on Stack Overflow, that can't be found in the company documentation? Things like, hey, what was the motivation for us choosing XYZ? You know, it's like backstory that's specific to this team or project. Or, you know, why are we organized in this way? Or what is our coding style and how did it come to be? You know, things things that all are looking back a little bit so that you can plug into the kind of the legacy of what came before. Yeah. Are there one to two of those an hour for your whole tenure, though? Okay. I feel like yeah. those pop up a little bit at the beginning and then, I don't know, once every week or two for a while and they kind of taper off. Like, I, I thought when you said questions you couldn't find the answer to on Google, you were going to ask about, like, what is what is love? What? <laughs> where did we come from, Dave? And where do we go when we die? Ask, yeah, do that. Okay. Ask that in Slack. Ask yeah. some really deep philosophical questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hey everyone, I just want to take the pulse of the room. What is what is love? Thank you. Uh, I've been working on this code and I just had a question come up. How do you feel about our current political candidates? And then you just Sit back, depart. satisfied, knowing that you hit your question target. Yep, yep, you got it. The Slack room erupts into flames around you. <laughs> I had a former coworker, one of my favorite coworkers, who had this concept called uncivil obedience, which which is a play on civil disobedience, which was a protest technique. But uncivil obedience is when you do exactly what your manager asks you to the nth degree. And I think this is a good example of that, where you could be coming up with crap questions just to hit this target. And the effect will be, you will probably be fired. <laughs> yeah. But it will call out the insanity of the request. Yeah, it's like malicious compliance. Exactly. Yeah, what's, so what, what would you do in this situation? I feel like I already laid out what I would do. I, I actually agree with your approach where I would say, ah, it kind of depends on how confident you feel in your position. Now, this is a probationary period, so you might just want to go with the flow and just do what it takes to get through the probation period. But if you're feeling pretty confident, I would probably try to peel the onion back one layer and ask the person, what's motivating this question target? Is there something I need to know about my productivity? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is the question target a feature of your probation? Is it a feature of your employment at the company? If you're just trying to make it through their probation, I mean, if you feel like you're in a precarious position, pushing back will involve some risk. And and if you're, but it it feels like it's not going in a good direction from your description, and the current state of things doesn't feel positive. So I I feel like at this point you kind of need to engage in a little bit of risk by pushing back a little bit and digging into the the productivity concerns and what you need to do to be productive. There is a possibility that it could backfire and just be evidence of you being difficult or something like that, which I don't think mm -hmm. it, would, it would be at all. But this is already a weird situation, so it's not unlikely that they will react poorly to you trying to be responsible and mature about it. Yeah, I agree. The other thing you can do is you can meet your question target by asking weird questions about question targets. Like, hey, does anyone else have a question target? <laughs> Yeah, you could just have a question that's always valid. Like, what time is it? <laughs> <laughs> what time is it now? How about now? What about now? <laughs> hey, how's the weather? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I don't know. This is a weird situation. And I really do think you need to push back because hoops, jumping through hoops to ask more questions when you don't need them is is weird. I think if, if you are going to push back and make it about productivity, though, you should be prepared to have strong evidence for your productivity and be prepared to answer concerns about it too, because maybe this is their roundabout way of addressing what they see as a productivity problem. Yeah. And, and you should be able to understand what they're looking for and, and meet it. 
Yeah. And the, the other thing besides a productivity problem that it could be is it could be a perceived engagement problem where they expect you to be talking to the team more and questions are just like the, the theme they've selected, but they want to see you talking more mm. act and taking a more active role in communicating with the team. Which, yeah. which, by the way, takes proactive effort in a remote situation. It doesn't happen naturally. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, some of it is just this. Yeah, that's that's true. If everyone's remote, I think there are some people that tend to just go and work on their thing and that's it. But there is some amount of kind of communication to keep things flowing smoothly that needs to happen. So maybe maybe that requires a little bit more effort. But the one to two questions an hour thing, that's bizarro. Yeah. Well, have we answered the question? <laughs> That's a good question, Jameson. I'm glad you asked it because <laughs> you were just shy of your question quota by one. What are you talking about? We we answered two questions in <laughs> half an hour, which is our quota. <laughs> okay. All right, fine. Good job. You are productive and Thank engaged. You. Aha. I did it. I defeated you. <laughs> what can people do if they want to help us meet our own question quota? <laughs> that, by the way, there have been a ton of questions coming in. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate it. We will get to them eventually, but not at the rate we're going now. <laughs> so thank you. If you want to ask a question, go to softskills.audio and click on the link that says ask a question. All right. We will catch you next week.